game is over. This is a special post-game edition of the Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. Instant analysis and opinions on UCF's game. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey Adams and Christian Simmons. Welcome into episode 107. Be sure you're following us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCASimmons, and at Night Sports Now. We're in Memphis. Sure are. Had a great had a great couple days, and this trip has been capped off with a UCF victory. It's so. really great because we went to Louisville last year together, and um, that game went slightly differently. And uh, oh, if you just heard some talking, it's because Bailey has the stats. They weren't going to hear it, and uh, a video played. Oh, that would have picked it up. But anyway, um, I don't remember what I was saying. I'm very tired. We went to Louisville last game. year. Oh yeah, we went to Louisville, and that game did not work out so well, and kind of ruined the whole trip. But we've had a really really fun <laughs> trip, and it was not ruined by UCF thanks to the antics of Mikey Keene and some fantastic skill players, and the defense very late learning how to play defense. Sort of. Um, well, yeah, I mean, Memphis in general is just a better city than Louisville, I'll say that. But, yeah, no, I mean, UCF wins 35-28. to 28. Um, gets, It was actually, I would say it, was, it got nervy there at the end. It was nervy throughout the whole game. Yeah, that was it actually was, a really stressful game. It was kind of your your typical UCF-Memphis game, actually, if you really think about it. Like, yeah, what is the little, deal like, that these two teams fewer points, just... I guess. Yeah, it but either crazy, way. It wasn't crazy, but 35-28, and that 28 became, it was, it was 35-21. UCF had seemingly put the game away, and then Memphis scored very quickly. Um, to make it 35-28, but UCS offense was able to get a couple first downs. One thanks to Alec Holler, who really sealed the game. Um, where do we start? And we start with Mikey Keene again. We got to start with Mikey Keene. I, I feel like that's where we go naturally. Um, I <laughs> 22 of 28 for 219 yards, three touchdowns to a pick. Very bad interception. Let's Awful get that out interception. Of the way. Let's get that out of the way. Yep. It was a bad interception. I even told you I was like. I was thinking in my head when he dropped back to pass on what was like third and thirteen or something like that, and almost in his own end zone. And I was thinking in my head, like, I'm kind of surprised Gus is letting him throw here. And then on that very play, he throws the ball right to – I mean, he misses – I think he misses Holler streaking over the middle, and he tries to force one, and it was a really bad interception. Yeah. Outside of that, he had one other one that was almost intercepted. But outside of that, I mean, 22 of 28 really tells the story. Three touchdowns. All three of the touchdown passes were insanely, like, just right into the perfect window. Two to Kobe Hudson. The last one to Javon Baker, and Baker makes a great catch in the back of the end zone, corner of the end zone. I'm. I don't know. Like this offense. Like I just. And this is what I told you as we were walking out of the stadium. It was like I just feel better about this offense being able to consistently throw the ball. Yeah, and that, like honestly, this game is. You know, it was stressful as hell, and that was largely on the defense, which we will talk about. But that game and the way the offense looked, and I tweeted this early in the game, and I ended up holding true, was this was exactly the offense that I like envisioned all summer when we were talking about why Mikey should have been the guy. The offense doesn't get too high. And it doesn't get too low. It's methodical. It's steady. It doesn't surprise you. It doesn't do things you're not expecting. It just works. And like we talked about, Mikey threw some freaking lasers today. I mean, some just freaking absolute darts. That touchdown to Javon was just such an amazing... I mean, he threw the ball in a place that only Javon could catch it. It was perfectly into his hands, and it was still a really impressive catch to keep his feet in bounds. Threw a dart to Kobe earlier. I mean, it's like this offense works because Mikey and you could see how it. You can see how it helped the rest of the team. That's like like R.J. Harvey does not have 151 yards on 17 carries without Mikey playing the way he does. It opened up things for Bowser. Bowser had his second highest yard total on the season. I mean, that's the difference between Mikey and J.R.P. Is J.R.P. the offense very quickly just becomes all about him, which is kind of the point, and I get that. But yeah. Mikey is so good at forcing the defense to respect him and distributing the ball that. Everyone plays. When you look at today, it's R.J. Harvey had a huge game. Bowser had one of his best games of the year. O'Keefe had a great game. Hudson had a great game. O'Keefe had 10 catches. Javon had a great game. Holler. I mean, I'm everybody. I mean, I mean, literally the entire offense plays well and looks good when Mikey's in because he's just – he is the – 
prototypical game manager. He's not a superstar. He's not going to do crazy things or put up seven touchdowns in a game, but he's just going to get you the result you're looking for. Yeah, and something you just said is actually interesting because it, it really is when the offense, when JRP is in there, the offense is very much about JRP, and that can be a good thing. Like we've seen it be a good thing against, I mean, albeit against some lesser teams, but it can be a really good thing. Like it can, it can show, like they can score a lot of points, they can have some explosive plays, but they can also go through stretches of the game where there's nothing's working. Right. With Mikey, maybe there were a couple stretches in this game, a couple drives that were killed, and I don't know that they were necessarily Mikey, just some of the play calling today was. Baffling you didn't love that under center end around that went for negative ten yards. After after converting a third and nine with a twenty one yard pass <laughs> to Kobe Hudson, they go let's go under center for maybe the fourth time all year and run an end around. Lost ten yards and that killed the drive. Um, man, I lost my original point. Oh well, Mikey like Mikey's in the game and like you said, it's just you kind of just know what you're going to get and he's like he's a great facilitator. Yeah, that's he's, exactly right. He's gotten the gets the ball to the right guys and that's the biggest thing to me and I. Don't want to go too harsh on JRP because I think there's there's definitely he has his merits. But with Mikey, and the reason I think I've been more on Mikey and have been kind of proven my myself, proven to myself for the last couple of weeks, why I feel the way I do about Mikey Keene as a UCS quarterback, it's just the ability to consistently throw the ball. And it's not it's not them having to take shots. It's the intermediate, like 10 to 15, 10 to 20 yard passes yeah. that he can typically hit consistently. And, and some of these these routes where he's throwing these guys open, I don't remember them calling these kind of out routes and these these schemed up routes when JRP was in. I just maybe that's I mean that's not his strength. And yeah, if he's, that's not his strength, don't call those plays. I completely agree. But I think those plays are valuable, and we've seen how well they can move UCF down the field under under Mikey Keene. Yeah, and I mean you basically said it. I mean because the thing is like John Rice Plumley, it's not that he can't throw the ball; it's that he's inconsistent throwing the ball. And when you're as inconsistent throwing the ball as he is, defenses really don't have to respect you. They'll take an L here or there on a deep throw if it means they can play you the way they want to play you. Oh, we're watching the TV, and SMU just had a great pick. Sorry, there's also a game on the background. <laughs> SMU's dressed as Memphis. It's very weird. I also want to say very quickly, I do apologize. I'm realizing as we do this podcast that my voice is sort of gone. And the reasoning for that is that I go to one game each year as a fan. And the issue is I'm so used to being media, I don't totally know how to act as a fan. And I typically <laughs> overdo it. And I feel I overdid it tonight. I screamed at times that were not necessary to scream at. But anyway, all that being said, yeah, I, I just... You look at Mikey, and you look at how the offense looks with him, it just is more effective. And, and like, I, I don't want to be a broken record, but the difference is that he just opens things up for the other players. I mean, it's not a coincidence that Harvey's had his two biggest games since Mikey has been the guy. And what sucks is that UCF has a game coming up next week, which is, I think no matter how you slice it, their biggest regular season game in four years. Up against Tulane, it's going to be a top 25 matchup. There's a real chance it's game day, which I can't believe we're doing that again. Yeah. And... Hey, this time both teams did their part. I know in my heart of hearts, and I think that everyone listening to this knows too, that John Rice Plumley is going to start that game. And I think that that is a mistake. I think it's a mistake. And and part of the reason for that to me is Mikey, as a true freshman last year, started and played in four single-score games. And that has shown this year. I mean, he's earned the right to be a starter more than anything because of how clutch he's shown he he is. You look at that final drive against Cincinnati— has some awesome strikes to lead them down the field. You look at the game today where UCF's on the ropes and he has some amazing darts to keep them in it and then eventually put them over the top. Mikey knows how to win games. He is a clutch <laughs> player. And you know who I want when you're going on the road in a game that's going to decide who goes to the conference title against a top 25 team on game day? I want the clutch quarterback. John Rice Pumley has shown nothing to imply that he can win games in clutch moments. He's played in two, two games this year where UCF was in a tough situation. It was Louisville where the offense could do nothing and they lost. It was East Carolina where they went down hopelessly and never came back. I want Mikey to play that game. 
I want Mikey to play that game as well, and I want UCF to do what we were kind of calling for all offseason and use JRP, because JRP will... I think what it came down to against Memphis, I think, yeah, JRP cleared concussion protocol and was technically cleared. I just don't think they really wanted to rush It would have been really it irresponsible. Just, it, it just felt weird. And he wasn't able to practice fully all week, so like that's another element of it. And so I think by Tulane, I think um, JRP will be ready. And I think they can use both quarterbacks effectively. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's going to be because, and this is the thing. I don't want to really repeat everything we said all, all summer. But like, if you have Mikey in there, you use JRP in those moments that you used Joey Gatewood and Parker Navarro to varying degrees of success last year. But you also, with him in the game, you do have the threat where he can throw the ball. Yeah. And and you can you can run different things. And I don't know if really they've designed the offense that way because they are running the offense with JRP. As, as a starter all year, so I don't know they really have those plays installed or anything like that. But I would like to see that kind of thing because I don't I don't think it's just oh thanks for you know the first quarter or no, first two quarters of the season, JRP you know you're done see ya. I think he can still be valuable to the offense. No, I just think yeah, I, Mikey has proven over the last two weeks why it's smarter to go with him. I all you can say, and, and you're 100 percent right, and I do agree that if like say, and it's not going to happen. Like, let me be clear: this is what we're saying should happen, and I fully, with all my heart, believe this should happen. It's just not going to. Mikey should start, and that doesn't mean don't use JRP. JRP can be a superstar version of the Gatewood role we saw last year, which actually worked with Navarro. And mixing that in is valuable. But you look at these last two games, and like, frankly, Mikey has earned the right to start that Tulane game. It's the biggest game of the season. All, I mean, you look at his last three games. Someone tweeted this I because I, I tweeted after the game that, you know, he's given them their, their UCF their biggest road win under Malzahn, biggest home win in um, back-to-back games. And someone took it either fa- even farther and said, in the last three games that Mikey Keene has played in, he's given UCF their best home win under Malzahn, their best road win under Malzahn, and the bowl win over Florida. I mean, he's a freaking <laughs> gamer. He, he, I mean, he's a winner with a capital W, like Malzahn said last week. He knows how to win games. And when you're looking at the challenge you have next week, because to listen, I don't even want to talk about what Michael Pratt is going to do to this UCF secondary. It's going to be ugly. And to keep up with that and have a shot at winning, you need the quarterback who is going to have your offense looking the best. And more importantly, the quarterback who knows how to win in tough situations. John Rice Plumley does not know how to win in tough situations because he's never had to. They've only had two tough, tough games he's played in the season and they've lost both of them. Yeah. I don't disagree. I, I don't, don't know what the argument is for JRP to start other than Gus being Gus. And we've established <laughs> that Gus Malzahn is a stubborn, stubborn man. We have established yeah. that. I, I, So I don't know. Loyalty, about, stubbornness, know. depends on which way you want to spin it. But Like I'm almost hoping like maybe Chip Lindsay or whoever can sit him down and be like, Coach, if, if any of you watch Ted Lasso, it's kind of like the Roy Kent decision. It's like, <laughs> listen, he's great. We love him. But sometimes it's just time. And sometimes someone needs to sit you down and tell you that. So... Like I said, I, I'll, I'd bet any, I'd bet my life savings on JRP starting next week. I just think it's the wrong choice. I just think it's the wrong choice. Yeah, I don't disagree, and we'll have plenty of time to get into that on our, our next podcast when we kind of preview that Tulane game. Um, by then, we'll know whether or not game day is, is going to be that game, and we'll know we'll later plenty, tonight, which is something. yeah, and we'll know plenty more. Maybe I, mean, I don't know plenty more, but we might know have some sort of inkling about what UCF's leaning toward doing. Uh, next week at the quarterback position. But. I bet we don't. Let me say real quick, I bet Gus is going to pull the exact same thing this week to force Tulane to, pre- to prepare for both of them. Yeah. I bet he'll just be like, oh, we'll just have He's to gonna, see. <laughs> he did the thing against Memphis where he would put both quarterbacks in the huddle uh, before they went out, and every time it was Mikey. JRP didn't see a snap. But I just, I, I guess there's some maybe some I guess, some kind of psychological edge. Surely there. by like the third quarter, no one on Memphis' <laughs> sidelines is expecting JRP to like, come Like, oh, wait, in, he but... might. This might be the moment for him. Whatever. But, 
We can we can probably leave the quarterback to talk. I think here, right? I think we're good. I think we've covered everything we've we need to cover. Ten minutes on to it. sum up, Mikey good, JRP good, but not as good. Fair. Start Mikey. I think okay. that's fair. Um, yeah, we've we've hit a lot on the offense. Obviously, talking about the quarterback, you're going to do that. But RJ Harvey set the tone for this game. I think he, he had the, so the 22 yard touchdown run to, to open the scoring. He later had a 61 yard touchdown or 61 yard run to set up another touchdown. He was just, I mean, he's just good. He, his vision, it never ceases to amaze me. And I told you that it, it, to a point, his vision kind of gets him into trouble sometimes because I think he might get <laughs> yeah. a little indecisive sometimes. But more often than not, he's patient, he finds the hole, and he will pick up yards. I mean, he averaged 8.9 yards per carry against Memphis. I know the 61-yarder will skew that. but um, And then Isaiah Bowser. Isaiah Bowser ran for 67 yards on 15 carries, uh, good for 4.5 yards per carry, had a long of 19, was key in kind of you know killing that last drive after the holler yep. uh, first down. And um, Isaiah Bowser also had a touchdown pass. It's so funny how on our last podcast I was not complaining, but sort of just like begging for an explanation as to how the Wild Bowser package always works. Since you know exactly what's going to happen, it turns out you don't know what's exactly is going to happen. UCF set expectations the whole season for one play where Bowser then steps back and chucks it to who? Who caught the pass? Stephen Martin. Stephen Martin. Yeah, just hilarious. I, only, I mean, that was Memphis just looked stunned. The only time, happened. the only times I can think of where he pulled the ball back, pulled the ball back was and didn't just take it himself was this touchdown pass to to Stephen Martin, which was like the little like pop pass, four yards. Um, and then there was a time, I don't remember what game it was, it might have been SMU, where he he did one of the little, like I guess it, well, that's not what, the pop pass, where he kind of like threw it up, and I yeah. think it was dropped, but they called it a pass, it was a yeah. complete pass. Um, but more often than not, you know what he's going to do, but I guess not this time. It was it was weird, because it was third and goal at the four, I think. Right. And I, we were like, it I mean, was you, perfect you even wild said, Bowser situation. because well, you even said, you were like, I mean, that seems a little far for, for Bowser yeah. on, on the wild Bowser, because he usually can get you two or three yards, but... Four yards out, and it was a long four yards. And he kind of hesitates, and I'm like, what's going on? And then he, he, the pass opens up, and I couldn't really believe it. But, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, that was one play call that I really loved. I'll, what about, I'll say something nice. What about one you didn't love? <laughs> well, one thing I need to go back to, and this is another one. Actually, let's, let's stay on the one that I loved, and we'll go back to Mikey for a second. Because I mentioned and referenced that pass to Holler that sealed the game. Right. That was such a huge moment. Yeah. Because if you think, I mean, it was... 35-28, third down. I think Memphis had one timeout left. And if they get a stop there, they call a timeout. They get the ball back with about two or three minutes left. I don't yeah. know how Time to much. work with. Time to work with. And they had just driven down on UCF very easily on their last drive. And it was about, thir- I think it was a third and nine, um, if I can pull it up here. But it really, it, he, he finds, he kind of rolls out and somehow Holler kind of slips open. on Yeah, third and nine from UCF's own 26. And... Finds Holler, and Holler just does the rest, gets to the, the first down marker, and does a little flip, reminiscent of Mackenzie Milton against Memphis in 2018. But, I mean, that was a huge, huge play in the game. Um, and I feel like there's there's another one that I wanted to mention, and it was Memphis Memphis going forward on 4th and 19. Was that the I don't was know tied at the time? What's... I think it was 21-21. to 21. And it was 4th and 19 around midfield. I don't know what the hell that call was. Memphis didn't respect Mikey Keene. Was that what that was? I kind of wonder. I mean, was that just them saying we don't... Which, it's dumb, because Mikey had been playing well up to that point, but I don't know what that was, but it was incredibly stupid. Um, have we touched on the field goal? No. Um, I is, think we should. Yeah, we should. Is that where we're going to go next? I really, like, I'm kind of all over the place right now. Okay, well, let's do that, and then okay. we'll talk about the defense, and I think that's pretty much... Yeah. We're good. Um, 
I'm very tired, guys. It's been a very... I forgot how draining it is to be a game as a fan. Because you don't really, like... Obviously, when you're, like, covering a game, you don't emote nearly as much. Like, it can be incredibly stressful, but it's just, like, you know, you're sitting in a seat, typing, looking up stats, whatever. It's a little different when you're in your stands and people are screaming all around you. And now you're screaming, too. And uh, But all that to be said. Yeah, so I'm a little... So people on Twitter, I guess, know this better than us we're in the stands. But UCF actually attempted a 64-yard field goal in the weirdest situation ever. I guess that wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. They said on the broadcast that that was just supposed to try to draw Memphis onside or offside, excuse me, and then it ended up they ended up kicking it by accident. My question is, how do you accidentally snap that? I don't know. Like, surely, there was some, there had been some kind of miscommunication there, I think. But like, surely on the sidelines, like the, everyone on the field is aware that this is not real, but apparently not. Like that's what I'm confused. Yeah, that's on. what I don't know where the disconnect was because and then once because even I think Boomer to like not to his credit, but. Boomer knew it wasn't supposed to be snapped because yeah. when they snapped it, he kind of like stuttered and didn't and really. He didn't like, he look looked, like he took a real kick. He was just kind of like, yeah. oh, and, and like sort not, of like the entire the entire it. field goal unit didn't really move. Yeah, and and uh, Memphis wasn't trying to really rush him there because they had sent somebody back to return it. It was a sixty-four yard field goal. Attempt. No, and I think obviously Boomer hesitated and was like, I'm not really supposed to kick this, but let's just do it. But all that like in the moment thinking, he it was well short. Yeah. Um, it ended up not mattering because Memphis, I think, got in a field, field goal range for 50-something, 52, 54-yarder and missed their own. It was just a ridiculous sequence. It was so – well, like I said, I feel better understanding now that that wasn't supposed to happen because when it did happen, I'm just sitting here and I'm like, why – how in the world we did like, UCF just actually attempt a 64-yard field goal? We were both like, there's three options here that you had. Attempt a 64-yard field goal, go for it on fourth and three around the midfield um, and potentially set your up, yourself up to score before half. Or just punt the ball. Yeah. And, and not leave not a lot of time for Memphis. And they went with a 64-yard field goal, and we were like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. But so, that, that explanation makes it make more sense. So we'll let that one go. You're off the yeah. hook on that one, Gus. Yeah. The weird under center, under round, not so much. But anyway, <laughs> let's talk about the defense, which the, the, the optimistic way to say it would be that Memphis had 12 drives today and only scored on four of them. So we can say that. Yeah. Um, the more realistic way to look at it is the defense flat out looked horrible for almost the entire game. Specifically, the secondary looked flat out horrible. I mean, like, I know we've gone, like we've talked about before, this defense is obviously a very good defense. I still believe it is in the conversation for the best defenses in UCF history because the bar is just fairly low there. <laughs> and you look at today, though, and it's just the same problem where the secondary just isn't very good. And you should not be in a situation where Seth Hannigan can basically put you in a blender and make you look confused as hell. And that is what happened over and over and over today. And it has yeah. me very worried for the closing stretch of the season. And the one thing we have to acknowledge, because I tweeted something about the defensive backs. And it was, I mean, har- rightfully, I think, pretty harsh. And someone kind of got back at me and th- this, like, kind of pretending that I don't know what I'm talking about, what I do. I understand that the pass rush wasn't good enough either. I mean, the past week, they weren't getting to Hennigan quick enough. I get that, and but at the same time, I really don't like that uh, when the defense is in the situation of we are either going to sack the quarterback or it is going to be a completion. <laughs> yeah, like, no, those should not be the it's, only it's, two it's outcomes. It's, a both, it's, a, they're, it's both bad. Like, yeah. it's, it's not like one, one or the other. They're both bad. And it's funny because as a, as a unit, I've been fairly pleased with the defense most of the year. So, like, oh, I can't complain too much. But It's just, it, honestly, it would be like... I wouldn't be half as worried if it weren't who they're playing next week because Tulane is not a joke. Like, I go, it's, oh, it's Tulane. Huh? Tulane is really freaking good. Michael Pratt is probably the best quarterback in the conference. And if they play, if the secondary in particular looks like that next week, I don't think it matters who you start at quarterback. You're not going to win that game. And I would very much like UCF to win that game. By the way, speaking of the AAC title race, um, we've got Houston SMU on the TV and it's 
Six minutes to go in the first half, and SMU has 42 points. So I think Houston's uh, run in the AAC race is done. They had the same record as UCF. Yeah. That will be continuing. So it's really just down to three teams. Tulane. It is down to UCF, Tulane, and Cincinnati. Yep. UCF has the head-to-head over Cincinnati. So if they lose to Tulane, they're not like for sure out of it, but they're still probably out of it. Because they need and, help. They need Cincinnati to lose at yeah. some point. And if you win that game, if they manage to win, congrats. You're basically in because your final two games are Navy and South uh, and South Florida, who frankly both are pushovers. USF's not going to have a coach by the time that game rolls around probably. Can you believe we're down to the end? It's crazy. Last quarter of the season, three games to go. That, that like, in my mind, because I was like, oh, there's another one after Tulane that's before Nate. No, no, no there's three games it. left. That's, that's it. Hard, but that's what I'm saying. Release. Tulane is the last challenge. I mean, it's Tulane and then two games that should not be difficult. And it's just, there's two, and there's two big things to worry about going into next week. The first one is who the quarterback is going to be. I think we can safely say now it's going to be the wrong choice and we're just going to have to deal with that. <laughs> and the other one is what the defense is going to look like. Because, man, it cannot look like it did tonight. It just can't. It certainly can't if John Rice Plumlee is going to be the quarterback. Um. Yeah, I mean, to, so to to the defense's credit, and this is what it's been good at all season, was the the red zone, because yep. they, they that's why, if you want to say from the defense standpoint, that's why they won the game, because they let Memphis get down to the red zone plenty of times, um, the first time or well, I don't think it was that was the first time, so they get a, a stop on downs uh, on Memphis's second drive, then after Mikey's bad interception. Um, they kind of get a gift where the Memphis receiver drops it, the ball hangs up in the air for I think six seconds. Um, legitimately six seconds, and Devontae Brown comes down with a pick. So that's another red zone stop. Uh, and then there was a missed field goal, and then, yeah, there, there was just multiple multiple stops down in the red zone. Um, so to their credit, they continued to do that pretty well. But you just, the I'm, whole, I'm sorry, uh, the, you can't uh, the entire The entire rest of the performance was pretty no, hard to watch. You can't look like how you did tonight against Tilly next week. You just can't. And, and honestly, it almost burnt them tonight. I mean, as, I mean, late in that game, I'm sitting here, and I'm like, it was specifically after the offensive possession where they did the dumb little end around and gave the ball back to Memphis. I was like, "Oh, I just think UCF's going to lose." Like I'm like, this "Oh, and is that it. was the that was the same." So this was the sequence, and this kind of leads into one of the next thing I wanted to talk about with the defense um, was so they had that end around, and then they have to get get rid of the ball or get rid of the ball. They have to punt the ball. Um, UCF's about to get off the field on the next drive. It yeah. was third and ten, and Seth Hennigan overthrew his receiver. Yet here comes Devod Wilson. Oh my God! To just lay out the receiver near the sideline on a ball that wasn't catchable. He wasn't even going to touch the ball. And there you go, free first down. There you go. That was the most like I, I turned to you like maybe five minutes after that. And I said, when UCF loses the game, that will be the moment we go back to. And then yeah. you flip it around, and Devod ends up pulling down a really critical interception. Yeah. Later in the game, so just goes to show that it's good that Bailey and I don't control who gets benched and who does not. Hey, I wanted him to come back in the game. That's true. I did say that. That's fair. I think it's good. That, I think it's good they pulled him off the field after that because that really. Yeah, he came out for a no little matter bit after no the matter what out. like what veteran status you have, as many games as you've played, you can't do that. Like that's and that especially in that moment. So and I think it's critical just from a coaching standpoint, a team culture standpoint. Yeah. You have to have accountability on plays like that. Like you have to send the message that it's like if you screw up that because <laughs> that's not a thing where it's like oh you got out talented or you got burnt. That's just straight up. It's just a mental complete error. Yeah, you like, even look for the ball. Yeah, like you. There has that's, to be some kind of accountability. And for that's that. why like and a little while later it had been it had been a couple drives I think. At that point, where I, I was watching Jarvis Ware kind of struggle out there, and I was like, I think now might be the time to bring back Tavad. Yeah, and, and Tavad comes in and gets a tip pick. I don't, I didn't see who got the tip on that. Could have been Ware, honestly. I don't, I don't know who got the tip on that interception. And we should cap off that discussion with the fact that the other worrying thing is Devad then went on to get hurt. Yeah. And we think we saw him, maybe someone else can verify, I'm pretty sure we saw him in a brace. It looked like, I saw someone that was on crutches yeah. in their jersey. And so. Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste also got hurt and ended up in street clothes. So we don't we don't know what their status is. Devad's not playing next week if he was in a brace. And yeah. 
going into Tulane and going against Michael Pratt and that offense without Devon Wilson and Jeremiah Jean Baptiste and coming off probably your worst defensive performance of the season, hey, that's a really bad situation. Yeah. <laughs> so that's worrying for sure. But you know what? I don't know. I'm stressing too much about next week. UCF might be on game day, which is awesome. It's they good, could uh, win. And just tonight, UCF 7-2. and two. They haven't been 7-2 and two or better since 2018. I mean, I, this... They're going to move up in the college football playoff rankings this week. I mean, this has been a really strong close to the season. I don't think it's a coincidence that that strong close has started with Mikey Keene being the quarterback, <laughs> but we'll have to see what happens next week. But, this, man. This uh, is a good spin zone from UCF football that tweet the defensive stats. is three red zone stops, two interceptions, two for two stops on fourth down, four tackles for loss, four pass breakups. Yeah, we can pretend the defense played well. That's yeah, fine. nice. Yeah, Love no. it. Yeah, I was a big fan of the way that the defense stopped Memphis <laughs> in some circumstances. So Yeah. Um. Yeah, I feel like we pretty much that was. So that was the other thing I didn't really like go further on the Devad Wilson um, penalty because it wasn't just Devad Wilson. It was the defense as a whole being very undisciplined That's throughout true. the game. Yep. Uh, I think there was two pass interference calls on Brandon Adams earlier in the game, um, and just I think on that drive alone because then there was also a face mask called on Walter Yates, which I didn't see it. It was uh, that that drive was forty five yeah. penalty yards on one drive. It's not good. No, it's really not. I don't think you really often want to give the opposing offense 45 free yards. And it's weird because the defense has not been undisciplined this year. I don't know if it was playing on the road or what, but, man, it was a problem. If you look at it, too, though, like that drive, three penalties for 42, 45 yards. I know someone said on the broadcast it was 42 yards. Um, But on the whole, UCF had six penalties for 66 yards. So the majority of them came on that one drive. Two-thirds of of the penalties came on a single yard. That's actually pretty crazy. They cleaned it up after that drive and and around that drive. But, yeah, that was was annoying to see because early on this season, I know the team as a whole had issues with, you know, discipline and penalties, and they had really cleaned that up over the last several weeks. But The other thing uh, I love about just the offense, I'm looking at some of the stats now, is you switched to Mikey and just did so balanced. 223 passing yards, 204 rushing yards. Yeah. And the thing is, that's what's always interesting to me, because Gus talks a lot about balance and how much he loves to have a balanced offense. And it seems like it's more balanced when Mikey's in the game. Well, and that's not a surprise. It's more balanced because Mikey does a better job of balancing the offense. I mean, like I said, I don't want to just be a broken record, but Mikey's great talent is making all of the skill players look better. I mean, when John Russ Plumlee's in there and you look at how the skill players play, it's basically just like, oh, Javon Baker gets some catches, and that's that's it. And then John Russ Plumlee runs around and, and pads his own stats, and that's fine for games like Temple where he's on, but for games where he's off, something like East Carolina where he's just dancing around behind the line of scrimmage and ends up losing two yards over and over, it's like, it freaking hurts. And Mikey, he's just... I love that we're back on this, and I guess I'm never gonna, I'm never going to not be on this because frankly, it's like it, it's almost been. And I'm not one of the because I know a lot of people have come on Twitter and been like, "Wow, you know what makes this even worse is if Mikey had been the starter from the start of the season, like they'd be undefeated right now." This, this, and this. And I'm like, I agree that Mikey should have always been the starter. I don't believe that John Rice Plumley ever should have started at UCF, but I also don't think that you can in a vacuum go say, "Hey." If Mikey's in, they beat Louisville. If Mikey's in, they beat... It's like, we just don't know, you know? So, like, I'm not going to, like, go and say that or whatever. But I do think from where the team is at now and how good they have looked and how balanced they have looked and how much all of the skill talent has shined with Mikey, he's also proven that he can get away from pressure. He had the one really bad sack. But other than that, throughout the game, he did a good job of getting away from it. Had good throws on the run, picked picked up yards with his feet at one point. I just... I don't see how, other than Gus Malzahn being stubborn... You can legitimately justify John Rice Plumley starting the most important game of the season. Coming yeah. off of, I, I, I don't get it, and I know it's going to happen, but I just don't agree with it. I agree. Um, a lot of people agree with you and us based off of that poll that you ran. Okay, so I posted a poll. Let me find it real quick. I posted a poll asking who you think should start, not who will start, but who should start. We're at 
328 votes. It is 92% for Keen, 8% for JRP. That's pretty... There might be... I I mean, listen, you're all correct. How the turn... Yeah, that's right. Hey, listeners who didn't agree (laughs) with us, we've been proven right. I know there were some out there that did. We appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate you guys. Also, like, for those of you who didn't agree with us, like, that's fine. None of us are experts. It's like, we're just, you know... I, like, I don't hold ill will towards people who, like, you know... Didn't agree with us. On I don't want to sit here and act like JRP's bad or he's has been not bad. bad. Our whole gripe with him all along has been that he's been inconsistent. He's way too up and down. And that there's there's plenty that he can offer this offense while you have the more consistent quarterback playing. That's, yeah. that's been the point all along. It hasn't been a like, oh, we don't like JRP. I like JRP. I like JRP a lot. The but, whole thing, it's the same thing I said after East Carolina. The question you have to ask yourself of JRP, and it and it became an easier question to ask because um, uh, because you know Mikey came in and looked really well, but. It, it, the question with JRP was always, are the highs worth the lows? And I always felt they were not. And okay. I feel like when you've seen Mikey, who's the more balanced option, who doesn't get as high as JRP, but sure doesn't get as low, it's proven that it is worth it. And all aside from consistency and all that, whatever, you can break it down as simple as this. You are going into a very important game that's probably going to be very tough. You have a quarterback who has now played in six one-score games and won most of them and had really clutch moments and knows how to win. And you have another one who has lost the only single-score game he's played with UCF and has, frankly, just not looked good in high-pressure situations. And it's as simple as that. Do you want to play the clutch quarterback or the quarterback who hasn't proven he can be clutch? Which option do you go with there? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I don't think we need to hit on it too much. I yeah. feel like we've already kind of gone over it too many times. But yeah. that's where we stand. You guys know where we stand. The last two things I want to put in on the defense. Um, they stopped the run really well yeah. when it wasn't the quarterback. Memphis's leading rusher was Seth Hennigan with 16 carries for 69 yards and a touchdown. Just a shocking so turn they, of events. They stopped the ball. They stopped the run pretty well, like they did against. They stopped the run really well against Cincinnati. Um, the other thing is third down defense, and I don't like that we're ending on a negative. So maybe we'll have to come up with another positive. Um, but they gave up nine of 14 on on third downs. So UCF can throw up all the, all the graphics they want to about the good stops that the defense had. Nine of 14 on third down is bad. You know the other game they gave up nine of 14 on third down exactly nine of 14. The ECU game. Oh, that's a lovely stat. Yeah. Whoa, do you think that Memphis had UCF's play calls? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and this is the stretch that I was kind of going to avoid because I was done talking about the quarterbacks, but they won one of the games that they played. Oh, they don't, do that. don't do that. Don't do that. I'm not even. They no. did. Um, I, can add, I can add one more negative thing for us to end on. I thought we um, wanted to end on a positive. Yeah, but I want to talk about this. Um, so UCF... Moves to seven and two. That's awesome. I know you guys are so happy that we're ending on like many negatives, but this one is a, is the negative. I'm gonna that mo- think of a positive. It's one that most of you won't care about, but I'll say the negative. Um, I didn't like the decals for oh, this game. Yeah. Uh, UCF went wide out. It looked very clean. I said in the off season, it ended up being true that these uniforms lend themselves to a wide out really flawlessly because they're so clean and simple. It's just it really shines. Why would you go with the boring, not even chrome gold stack UCF decal? I'm so baffled by that. That's the exact same decal and, and, and combo they wore for the SC State game in 2016. First ever look when they had cool uniforms. And even then it was like, this is boring. And I just, I'm so baffled. I don't know why they didn't go chrome gold. I, I really am just, it was bothering me. Like, Babs Bailey knows I haven't shut up about it since Thursday. It was bothering yeah. me during the game too. So there's my final negative to throw in is I don't know why UCF didn't wear better decals for this game. <laughs> I'm asking the real questions here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Do you have a positive to throw in yet? The positive I was I just thought it was cool. UCF did like a, put up a side by side of Mackenzie Milton's dive against Memphis in 2018, and Alec Holler's dive for the first down today. You have to respect because when Alec Holler was running with the ball, I'm looking at him and I literally have the conscious thought. I'm like, he's not going to get the first down. And Alec Holler was like, "What? I'm going to give my entire body to this team just to pick up this key first down," and he did. I just love Alec Holler. Lots of respect. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think I think that's where we can leave it. I don't know. 
what this audio is, so I don't want to like play it now. But uh, our friend Trace posts this from the press conference, and it's Gus talking about the quarterbacks, and he says he addresses any notion of a quarterback controversy. So I don't know what he said here, but just whatever he said, I'm gonna. It'll be funnier that we're not gonna play yeah. it. Yeah. But I, I, I promise you that he's gonna do the same thing he did with. This game of just, oh, we'll see what's going to happen or whatever, and then they'll start JRP. So, fun times <laughs> yeah. coming. But we will be back uh, early this coming week to preview that Tulane game, talk about any things we missed. I'm sure there's probably going to be more that we missed than normal from yep. a game that we were both at in Memphis. Um, but great time, great win. Really fun to, to see that. And Memphis has been great. I, I've really enjoyed Memphis. It's an awesome city. Um, but we will be back as you hear a siren in yeah, the background. Yeah, there's a busy street right outside this place, so. <laughs> But we will be back soon, and until then, you can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at Simmons, and at NightSportsNow. Thank you guys so much for being with us on this late-night pod, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody.